ちょっとバーブスベースメント。ヘルシュホストバーブウィルレッツ。ウェルカムトゥバーブスベースメントアンカミントゥマイベースメントバーチュアリーカミントゥマイベースメントバーチュアリーカミントゥマイベース
I mean, I think it was just kind of like a natural evolution. I mean, the more that we did shows, the more we were wanting to make an album. Um, we tried doing a little bit of stuff with a, a friend of ours in the basement. And then we sort of met a guy named Ross Nikiforic, who was like, he actually played in that band, the Northern Pikes. And he, oh, was, nice. uh, he had a studio in town. So we, you and I kind of like met with a few different people and, and went with him first. And so he recorded our first two records, plus uh, an EP we put out called the Breaks EP. Um, so it was sort of like uh, the first guy that, you know, it wasn't a manager or anything. It was just us wanting to be able to be like, okay, the next step is we should start making CDs. So um, we started doing that and, and moving from just playing songs live to, to actually tracking stuff in a studio. So those first couple releases um, that we sort of somewhat recently reissued on vinyl were done with him. Uh, and then when it came to our 2010 album, Learn and Burn, which was the 10th anniversary last year of that album, that was really a big changing point for us. I mean, that was, um, you know, we decided to try recording it ourselves and Ewan was going to produce and I rented a, a subletted a house from a friend that had sort of somewhat of a recording setup. Ewan brought a computer in there and for the summer of sort of 2009, we hit out in this house and recorded all together and, and sort of took it to that sort of next level because that was the album that a lot of people hold up there as sort of our our best kind of turning point, our big release, you know, seminal album or something like that. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that was like a big, you know, and a lot of that came from, you know, traveling and, and, and you know, playing these songs live and then wanting to put out a product, but we weren't making any money and we wanted to try to like tackle ourselves because recording is expensive and being able to like be on the clock, not be on the clock and record something was a big difference and a big change for us. Yeah. How was like the writing process at the beginning? Did you guys like do covers first? Like did you get together as a band? Like, um, like somebody put an ad up, but like, like, or (laughs) how did it work? How did the initial band get together? High school guys. We knew uh, Ryan and I went to high school together uh, and we knew Sam through a mutual friend. And it was kind of, we were like 19 and in university and just kind of like looking to kind of do something like it, it felt like we'd been out of university, out of high school for a couple of years. And like, all we were doing was like sort of drinking and going to the same bars with the same people. And we were kind of like, we got to shake this up. You know, there's more to life than that. Especially when you're, when you look from Saskatoon and maybe you have a little bit of aspirations of seeing the world, you feel far away from it. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we started doing covers, um, like really simple classic rock or like we, the two bands that we kind of liked right at the start, this is like 2004. So it was like yeah. the Kings of Leon had a couple albums out. Black Keys had a, had like maybe three records out. Um, and we were kind of from the get go, we we're like kind of dabbling in some originals. I was trying to like write some songs and, you know, we were like so rudimentary, like just very basic, you know, one note kind of riffs with a lot of distortion on it and uh no you know i was the first i was the only one singing and that kind of thing but we we knew eventually we wanted to kind of branch out more than that how do so like yeah i'm always because they're you know you're not a small band so you know how do you guys bring ideas to each other for songs like is it uh is it is it organic like once you get you know they always say you have your whole life to write your first album and then you know you have to get that second one out or whatever but you guys did a little different you had a couple eps and and then like you said you're you know 
uh, learn and burn is the, you know the one that kind of you know put you on the map if you if as it were kind of mm-hmm. what you were saying there ryan so like how did how did the writing process change along the way what's funny because i think the one uh, interesting part that you and left out is the fact that none of us had ever played in a band before when we started <laughs> this band like I'm- it wasn't like we all had played in other bands and we were coming together i mean we literally decided you know, let's get together and start playing music. So like everything with our band, it was all just sort of trial and error. So it started by playing covers and then, you know, Ewan started writing songs and Sam actually started was, you know, wrote early songs for the band as well. Um, And there was, so there was never sort of any like position where somebody starts breaking. It was just like, everything kind of happened naturally. And so as things progressed, Ewan became, you know, the primary songwriter. So the way that we bring, you know, music to the band really hasn't changed that drastically in the last 17 years. It's all very much the same. I mean, Ewan comes to the band with an idea and then we sort of make it into a band, a song. And, you know, sometimes that idea is fully formed and other times it's something that we kind of work out, but there's no real sort of, uh, you know, system or anything. Or And, you know, everyone, it's very like democratic and, and ideas get put forward. And, and that's always been it been the way it's been done since day one and it kind of became obvious that Ewan was the songwriter of the band so that's the, the route we went in those early days uh when you're doing gigs and, and you start to see people are coming now people are actually buying some tickets to see you guys um how did you deal how do you deal with like are there, there's got to be nights when you know maybe you're, you're not your best and uh and things um uh, didn't go the way you wanted um I was just talking to John Angus from the Trues and I asked him, how, you know, how they dealt with that because they gigged a ton when they started too, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if you know, it was just the show just wasn't right, you know. He said, you know, because he produces now too. He tells you know, don't talk about it right after the show because everybody's <laughs> like way up here right now. Like, did you do you guys did you guys like because the lo- I think the live version of the Sheepdogs is the best version of the Sheepdogs. I love your albums, obviously, but you guys live are just so you know friggin' engaging and and tight. Like, how did, like, did that, like, did you guys discuss how to become that? Or again, was it just organic and you guys didn't really do a lot of self uh, analyzing? Uh, it, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I feel like it's hard not to be analytical. Yeah. Um, I know I certainly am of, of, of everything that I do musically. It's just kind of impossible. My dad is... Uh, like a classically trained uh, pianist and composer so like I grew up in a family of like and he's like the most analytical person I know and so it's like pretty hard to escape that sort of mindset Um, but I think also like from the get-go we were pretty uh, lofty in our ambition even in our early days despite how shitty we were Um, (laughs) like we were pretty sort of like like when I think back to it now like I I meet so many young bands and people now and when they're like just starting out and they're like, you know, maybe asking for some tips or asking, well, you know, advice or whatever. And I'm always just sort of like, oh man, you got so much road ahead of you. And like, when I think back to like, like I could never, if I didn't have all this experience, I couldn't go back now and start again. Like I'm just too old and too tired, but like, like there's just no, uh, there's no replacement for like experience and like playing a terrible show, uh, screwing up. Uh, playing a song that you thought was great and then seeing it kind of falls flat for a crowd or seeing that something that maybe you didn't think was all that great just kills and like like when I hear comedians on like podcasts talk about um, you know they're like almost like the new jazz musicians or they're like trying out their material and improvising and it's pretty inspiring because it's like they're so analytical of what they do but I can understand what John Angus is saying about like 
you know, from a band, like being super critical and analytical is like when, when you're just getting off stage, it's like, it's not, maybe not the greatest for the psyche. Like I remember my dad, my brother, they had to have this rule that after my brother's basketball games, they would wait a couple hours before my dad would give him the, his like breakdown of his performance on the court. And it was like, <laughs> instead of just telling him on the ride home from the car, cause it got pretty contentious. Yeah. When well, I think that like, you know, the nice thing is, is that when you start out, they don't, those, what those mistakes and things that happen don't matter as much than when you're put onto the big stage, but it also sets you up to be able to like handle when things go wrong. I mean, screwing up at a show and the first couple of shows, like that's your, that's like the worst thing that could possibly happen. Whereas, you know, screwing up at a show now probably doesn't, you don't even really think about it. I mean, we all do it time to time. No one notices. Yeah. No one notices half the time. I remember when we first started recording, I remember uh, Sam's dad, Sheldon is a musician, a career musician as well. And um, I remember talking to him and he was telling, I was asking him what it's like to record because I'd never recorded in a recording studio. He's like, it's like playing a show, except if you screw up, you could just start over again. And I remember being like, oh, I like that. Cause at that point we'd only ever played live and it, the, the, the fear was always like, just to, you have to play this perfectly exactly how it is. So doing that at a time when the less eyes are on you is nice versus doing it at a time where it would be, I don't even imagine what it would be like to like shoot to that level of playing in front of thousands of people when you've only played like a handful of shows and stuff like that. Cause I remember hearing stories about bands where they would, you know, they're, they're like fifth show would be, you know, this huge thing. And like, that's obviously wasn't us. We had so many shows that were so lackluster and disappointing over the years that, uh, when it came to actually having good shows, we were less less likely to get kind of bogged down by that. Yeah, I like that attitude about you know doing it in the studio. It's like you can just start over. Like that's a great way of looking <laughs> at it, right? Yeah, no, it put me at ease because I was so nervous. I didn't yeah. feel like I was like worthy of going into a recording studio. <laughs> you when you mentioned uh, doing a doing a song and it and not getting the reaction you expected, but do you have a moment, or do either of you guys have a moment that you remember? Like when people started singing along, like when you know, like, wow, they, they actually know our stuff. Like, do, is, or did it just kind of happen? Or was there like, is there a, a night you remember? You're like, holy shit, they're singing along. Um, I, th- I think we were like pretty decent in the early days of, right. Of, we had some like pretty punchy sort of like riffs that people would get into. And we would play like these open stages kind of uh, regularly. Like there was this, a bar called Lydia's that's like, kind of legendary in Saskatoon that no longer exists but we would play that all the time and it would have kind of a scene like people would come down and they'd be like oh I'll play that song or this song we had a stupid um <laughs> we were called the breaks initially and we had a stupid breaks theme song because I was like oh we should have a theme song that'll you know really like brand it. us I like it <laughs> it's weird because like you know we're like learning our instruments um we're also like learning the business of like like you know literally like numbers and like you know spending money on things and and how to make money and how to run shows and how to run a business and also like i guess some sort of form of marketing also performing and it's funny talking about the early days i I always think about like those first few shows as long as you're playing your song you're okay and then when the song ended that was the scariest thing because like it was between songs and it was like applause silence and then you felt like you had to say something or like if you had a tune and oh, i had to focus on tuning i can't talk to the crowd it was very nerve-wracking now it's like i could like stand up there forever and not worry about it or like it's so different you just become comfortable being in the lights and stuff but like that's what i think about when i think about those early days it's just like between songs and silence of like oh my god 
what but i mean that open stage he's talking about was totally the place where we did start sort of like feeling like okay we got something going on because we'd be playing this open stage with a bunch of other different artists and uh they they would for the most part be playing their same songs and we play our songs. <laughs> he's gotta let the dog in there uh we play the same songs and we have friends or other people there that would either request a song they'd heard us play another time or you know singing along to um the one that i remember that really stands out is off there our first album like full-length album there's a song called natural wonder and that was one that like i remember people like that we were starting to like play our own shows but i remember we'd like play that one time at an open stage and the next time somebody would be kind of like singing along i mean it's very different than like in the more successful version of our band where we go to like a place where they don't even speak english and they're singing along <laughs> to our songs i mean that's that's like a whole nother level it's different than that and you're like buddy from high school that's like they're supporting you or whatever right but it's it was cool i mean like people very early on were like wow like you guys got something going on here and it it really kind of pushed us like you and said to sort of go out there and kind of you know with no cares in the world just going out and making horrible mistakes but just going for it because we wanted to and we had lofty goals of like becoming what we became and the lofty goals are you know obviously you guys are, are, are pretty damn good um and, and, and at reaching those goals and like you said you know going to a country where they don't even speak english and they're singing along to uh sheepdog songs um what did uh like you mentioned the business side of it, you and like, how, uh, how is, I mean, we could get into this, like, let's talk about how people discover music now, right? Like, the, like, uh, what would you, what, what do you guys say to young bands now? I mean, you had the, you know, you had that opportunity, you, you know, you had the, con the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stone magazine contest, but uh, which, you know, I, you know, took you to another level of, of recognition, but um, you know, the way people hear new music now is so different. And, uh, you know, like, let's talk about when, when you guys decided now to release this EP, it's very different than when you would have released Learn and Burn, right? Like the way, you know, it's very Marshall McLuhan, I guess, but you know, like the medium has changed so much, like how people get new music. Um, what have you guys kind of as a band or uh, kind of thought about that? Uh, I could speak sort of generally and then Ryan could probably speak more specifically, but <clears throat> I think, you know, from our sort of in a general sense, we always sort of thought, let's just try to be the best band we can live and on record. And then we kind of like sought out all of the little avenues, whether it was like, well, obviously live, because not only do you get in front of people, but you're honing your chops, trying to get it on radio, try to get to the showcase things, try to, you know, back in the day, it was like build a MySpace page and add 25 friends a day or whatever the yeah. hell you were supposed to be doing but like you know so it's like basically just trying to make sure you're killing it in a you know on your initially on your music and your live show and then you got to go out and be ready for that opportunity I and mean, at least with the rolling stone thing it was like you know it's a kind of a one in a million thing for us but when the opportunity came along we had all this experience playing live uh, touring, dealing with, you know, unpredictable scenarios on the road. And that's one of the reasons we won. I mean, that and the fact that we were from Canada and the patriotism had kicked in. But like, we like, you know, when we were doing all these little competitions, we just kicked their asses because they were, you know, these sort of these newer bands and we were just more road tested and ready for the unpredictable uh, nature of, of things. So just, you know, start off with the bait, you know, make sure the make sure the music is kick ass and the live shows kick ass and everything else kind of falls into place. That's yeah, I mean, it's the, sort of like the, the simple. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like, okay, if you're talking about like 
the difference between now and learn and burn. It's not really that much different. I mean, how music is marketed hasn't changed drastically. It's just a matter of finding the avenues in which people discover music. And it's funny because you and I grew up in, you know, we went to high school in the late nineties and early two thousands. So how we discovered music was so different than people a few years younger. That's because that's when Napster happened, right? It was the Napster era, right? Like, and previous to that, the way you discovered music was like, we were joking about this earlier, but it's either like a guy at a music store, the radio, or like your friend's older brother or something yeah. that'd be like, man, you gotta, it's long, unless it was like, you know, like Smash Mouth or something that's being played on, you know, popular radio. And so at the advent of like something like a Napster, that was a a big changing point because it meant that like people like you and I didn't have to rely on those local sources. We could go down the, what we know as like the rabbit hole and and discover other bands and find one band and learn about another. And that really like changed the way that we consume music in that era. And I think YouTube and streaming is, is not that much different. When, when Learn and Burn came out, we sent, uh, we did college radio bailouts. We sent college radio to both America and Canada to try to get radio play. And the first thing that happened, and I remember this explicitly, is that it got uploaded to a torrent and got like downloaded like so many times. And my initial reaction was like, what do I have to do to take this torrent down? Right. And then someone was like, that we, that, you know, someone that I knew was like, man, don't worry about it. I was like, that's just all these people that are listening to music that are discovering it. And that was a big thing because it sort of got passed around on the internet in the same way that things get passed around now. I mean, now with streaming, you know, there, there maybe is less money in the, you know, listening to music, but at the same time, there's a way, way greater chance that someone's going to discover your music. If they like the sheepdogs and you sound like the sheepdogs, Spotify is going to like push you. I discover music like algorithmically all the time. Yeah. So it's like, nothing's really changed that much over the last years. I mean, things have changed, but it's more so avenues have shifted. So the way that you market music now you know, is not that drastically different than years ago. It's just like revenue streams change. The economics the that you do it. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean like stuff like, I watched a documentary recently about Elvis and how they marketed Elvis. Or you think yes. about how they market the Beatles. I mean, it's no different than what they do now. It's like making music and then just like making people get right into it and then having other reasons for people to buy in that aren't just the music. I mean, that's like exactly what they did with Elvis, exactly what they did with the Beatles. And, and it sort of helped to put that music out there so you know tiktok is not that much different it's just a whole different era and a whole different avenue so i mean we're always trying to like be mindful of that and trying to think of like okay who is our audience and how can we find those people and who doesn't know about our band and how can we get them to know about it but it's obviously like there's no one answer because every band is different and i think that's part of the challenge and that was how we did things initially too it was like how do we get more people to listen to us and how do we get the word out there and we sort of figured that out at least somewhat over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, if, if people, uh, you know, I, I, guys like, you know, I mean, Robbie Baker, the tragically hip is doing, you know, TikTok videos, you know, which <laughs> yeah. is crazy when you think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, how's, uh, I mean, how's your pandemic going boys? Like, obviously <laughs> you made this EP during the pandemic, I assume. Is it, would you call it a pandemic EP or? <laughs> it's, it's lit. I mean, literally, yes, but yeah. uh, I, not about I, I think, pandemic. It's not about the pandemic, and uh, I think the thing about the pandemic is that as soon as it's over, we're gonna want to forget it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we like these are all songs that we were ready to record before the pandemic okay, happened. Yeah, I was gonna ask like, where um, songs? and so like, but the idea when we were recording them is to think about like making something that was moving forward because I think 
nobody's going to want to list. Like, I think there's a lot of things associated with the pandemic that nobody wants to ever words and things that they never want to relive again. So for us, it was about making something that was sort of looking forward, a soundtrack to moving forward rather than like a reflection of the past kind of thing. No, absolutely. And um, so this was this was done in uh, where where'd you guys record? Like it was I like say that's a, it was a question beyond. OK, so I know, uh, you know, uh, learn and burn. You guys self-produced, right? Self, you know, um, how um, how is working with producers changed to uh, change, change the, the band along the way? Well, I mean, we've only worked with a producer one time. Wow. Since learn and burn. So yeah. Uh, you know, hasn't changed that much. Not much. Um, I guess two if you include Adam Slessinger. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess you would. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm, it, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's just like, I'd be open to working with a producer potentially, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. We've just never really been presented with anybody that seemed like someone that was interesting and, uh, and, you know, I think I, when I write songs, it's not like it's like a, I don't sit down with like a pen and a guitar and and then I just like have this typewriter. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I'm not like Joni Mitchell, 1966 or something, or Bob Dylan at a coffee house, but yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I have a pretty vivid idea in my head about um, where it's gonna where I'd like to see it end up in terms of like instrumentation arrangement um sort of the sonics of a song yeah. so it, i feel like that's like half the battle and then i think as uh, another side of it is kind of like uh how do you take the people that the personnel and put them in the best position that they can be to execute the thing so it's kind of like a meeting of visions it's like you've got this idea in your head and ideally but you know like i'll have an idea for a song and i'm like oh I w it should sound like uh you know like uh this you know the wrecking crew blah 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 some killer band that like you know not like we're not going to be able to replicate it but then you kind of meet it with your you know what the actuality of Resolve. your band sound is yeah. and then i always say like you have an idea of what you want to be and then you sort of fail along the way and that's your sound and and but that's okay because it's like people want to see us they don't want to see us doing like somebody else's thing I don't know, it's all very philosophical. It's, I know, <laughs> we were talking about getting all esoteric before we got on the air here. We started recording. I'm okay, esoteria is, is cool with me, man. We're going to get but, all I mean, NPR. And I think that we've had, you know, the lat Ewan has produced uh, this the pre in the previous two records before that. Um, and we've sort of gotten into a groove with things. And so that's, you know, we had the experience of working with Pat Carney uh, on our self-titled record uh, from Black Keys. And uh, Adam Schlesinger is a... Uh, who actually passed away last year, but he was a, a producer out of, um, he played in that band Fountains of Wayne and we worked with him while we were doing the Rolling Stone stuff, but we've sort of had the best results for us, at least what we feel is the best representation of us doing it in-house. So we've kind of pursued that continually for the time being. And, you know, not to say we don't want to do the same thing over and over again, because we're, we're also pushing ourselves to push that envelope as well, but also keeping it in a way, like you and said, where we're going to get the best result out of everyone involved. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah, no, for sure. If, if it feels right. So, uh, you know, you know, like looking forward, not looking at back at the pandemic, it looks like uh, next year you guys are going to hit the road. Is that the plan? Hopefully, if all goes well. Um, because, yeah. I mean, I would want... I've been asking this about a lot of Canadian bands is like, 
and especially as we said about the the economics of the business now live touring is such a big part of the business side of being in a, a successful band being a working canadian musician uh it's, it's got to be so hard um and i know like I know JD from the monster truck is working at DeFasco in Hamilton, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and that's a pretty successful band, you know, they, they've yeah. done well, but he took a full-time job working in a steel factory, you mm -hmm. know? So like, it's, uh, um, I, I think it's, I mean, obviously it's affected everybody, but, uh, um, how have you guys dealt with the time, the free time and, uh, what, you know, what's been, uh, what's been keeping you busy? I mean, I was unemployed for a few months and I, that's why I started this, this mm -hmm. podcast. Cause you know, I, I needed a creative outlet. How was, how, how are you guys dealing with that? I, I, I rented a space and set up all these instruments I've been buying over the years, like amps and weird organs and keyboards and stuff. Okay. And, uh, just basically made myself like a, a studio setup that I can screw around in. Uh, is it a bit nerve wracking spending money during a year where you're not really working? Yes, but it's an investment in the future, man. Cause like sitting at home is a bummer. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like creatively it really stoked the fire and, and you know, now as we're set to kind of like reemerge, like we're doing, uh, you know, not only have we released this record that just came out last week, but you know, we're sort of like kind of working on being able to kind of release a bunch more things you know hopefully within the next year it's like i probably wouldn't be ready to do that if i hadn't done that so it's a good investment in, in sort of my own sanity and also just kind of being productive going forward and and like let's be real like the reason you make money when you're a musician i mean yeah you got to eat and pay your bills and stuff but like when if you think back to when you're a teenager it's like i want to make money as a musician because uh i'd like to buy some cool instruments i want to like get studio time and work on music all the time and not you know that's so it's worth it's worth it to me yeah worth the investment yeah for sure and i think for us it was always about like let what can we do to be productive in this time even though we aren't able to do what we're going to be able to do so that when we time is time to go back and do what we normally do we're kind of ready and we got something fresh and new and so that's kind of been our our focus uh we're you know we're fortunate we you know, have, we're, you know, prepared to be able to like take this time. And so we've been, you know, taking advantage of it and, and trying to do as much as we can, obviously with limitations being, sure. you know, there's not everything, but yeah, when we do finally get to go back on the road, which is hopefully later in this year and, and, and into next year, I mean, we're going to be stoked to get back out there and get back working. Cause then you're right. That is a big part of what we do. And both because that's how we promote our music and how we make a lot of money, you know, make money, but also cause that's the, it's also fun. Too. <laughs> like you're missing that adrenaline, right? Like that's mm. part of being in the, in a band that's successful and going out in front of five, 10,000 people and doing it, <laughs> you know, when you're not getting that, it's gotta, it's gotta, to be a uh, after years of getting it it's got to be quite the adjustment yeah, yeah for yeah. sure yeah, i'm just i want to say like thank god i'm not working in a steel mill that sounds heavy duty man Jeez. yeah man i had him on a couple weeks ago he was totally open about it he's like i just you know yeah. I needed to do something and uh he said you know um they they he was he was operating a like a an a open mic night uh, when they could and, you know, trying to get out that way. And he's still, he's doing a bunch of stuff on TikTok as well trying to get, you know, the creative juices flowing that way. But he said, you know, he goes, I got a son. I got, a, I got rent to pay. He said, uh, yeah. I'm going to take sure. a my, my uncle got me a job. I was like, you know, I was like, I gave him full kudos for being open about that and, you know, yeah. not being precious about, you know, I'm a rock star, you know, no, no judgment at all. Just like yeah. kind of me. I, I meant that more as I like, uh, I feel very grateful for where yeah. I'm at. Yeah, very. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose, you know, when you guys have been uh, sitting around 
um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, with the EP and whatnot, one of the brainstorm sessions comes up with uh, most people shotgunning a beer together. Is that, <laughs> how, did, how did that go? That was uh, that was last week or so. It was last Friday. It was fun, man. I mean, we're all stuck on these Zoom calls all the time, whether it's like, you know, we're doing interviews all the time. I have meetings all the time on them, you know, people, everyone. It's like a, a weird part of the, you know, combined experience of COVID for everybody. So yeah. we sort of were like saying how it'd be funny to do something that's, you know, uses Zoom in a fun way. So we thought like having a hang with people and you know, there's yeah. obviously never been a, a record set for most beers shotguns. We were happy to take, we knew we had, it was a, a, a lofty goal, but you know, fairly, fairly achievable because so it was fun that we meant that we just got to like, you know, like you said, we love, we do love that interaction and like having these songs and, and, you know, feeling the reaction of them. So doing that in sort of a funny way where we sat in a like sort of living room setting and hung out with people and shotgun beers was pretty great. I like that. I mean, you know, and I like what you said, you know, we're all on zoom calls all the time. And to do one when, you know, you're shotgunning beers. One of my favorite, I, I did an episode with this guy, Billy Newton Davis. He was in a band called the Nylons. I don't know if you remember them from the yeah. 80s. That's an acapella group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. they did, uh, they did um, uh, one in the jungle. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Billy Newton. Of uh, they, yeah, of course they did. Um, and so it, did they do Don't Worry, Be Happy as well? Uh, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, that would have been a good cover for them. But uh, they probably I, did. We did the yeah. interview in, at night. And so I had a, I had a couple cocktails while I was doing it. It was like, I, I felt like I was at my best in the podcast on the zoom, had a couple drinks and loosened up. <laughs> I think that era is kind of, is, I mean, I think that stuff's kind of warming up. I mean, do you remember when Jimmy Kimmel first got his show? Yeah. This is like 20 years ago, but he was like, they had a bar the first year they were like drinking and yeah. Snoop Dogg got might even smoking weed, but they were like really going for it. There's a, I, I, there's a few different guys you'd like to, do some drinks. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't Yeah. Well, I think that I think the thing it's another thing that makes podcasts good is it's like less of a fake energy or like a, you you got performance. Like like look, if you want to see us perform, come to a show, put on our record. It's gonna be great. Yeah. You know, it's like a ninety minute show. It's a forty five minutes you know record. But like, there's like these good avenues. You know, where there's these interviews or like the thing we did last Friday, where it's like you know, we're not like some big shot, like guys that sit around with like fancy gold chains and like <laughs> stacks of money. Like, you know, we're pretty regular dudes in a lot of way. We're just yeah. like happen to be guys that make, you know, live in playing rock and roll. Like you can see my background. I got records. I like listening to records. We like mm -hmm. drinking beers. We like barbecuing and talking about music and watching sports. Like it's, it's, it's cool to like, I think, you know, I always like when my heroes are, are more approachable and regular. I mean, we all love the like crazy stories about Prince and, and uh, <laughs> Chuck Berry and stuff, but it's, we're, I kind of like the, the relatability factor in some of my heroes, I think. It is different. Yeah. It's uh, you know, when, when we, when, you know, I'm a little bit older than you guys and, you know, growing up um, musicians especially seemed uh, untouchable. Right. And you never knew anything about them. And, um, and, and I know, I know, I don't know if you guys get this or not, but, um, I know that like, I know some of the labels, um, have told some bands like, okay, you know what, lay off the, the, the socials a little bit, you know, leave a little mystery, but I, I, <laughs> I you know, don't, you, they don't need to know everything. Right. But, yeah. uh, well, I think we're pretty good about not going to no, like, no, absolutely. like we, Ryan runs our, most of our social stuff there. I'm pretty like off socials. I'm kind of a ghost on there, but like. We're, I don't, we're not like endlessly like, you know, 
Hey guys, so today hey, yeah, we're... that's the worst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, balance, I think, is what we're no, for sure. But I think there's you're right, there is a bit of an allure. I mean, social media back to like our music marketing thing is so much of what it's like the fan club, it's like that, like you get a newsletter, but so much of the fan club for like the Beatles was like a very crafted letter that we could set out. Now it's like it's happening in real time and people probably feel like they're a little bit closer to people than they actually are in podcasts. You hear people from like famous podcasts talk about how they'll meet people in the street and they're like, I don't know you, but you feel like you know me because you listen to me talk for like 90 minutes a a week or whatever it is. Uh, But I think at the same time, like we consider ourselves to be pretty reproachable guys. And when we're out in you know, in real life and people come up to us and talk to us and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's you. It's like, eh, we're just, I'm just, just a normal guy. Just like you and said, we're just the normal dudes that happen to make music and, and make money playing music. So uh, you just have exceptional taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm a 45 year old father of two and I still pay to be a member of the Pearl Jam fan club. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, yeah. Eddie Vedder is like, Oh, he's, you know, he's out there surfing and hanging out with like, he's on Instagram. Yeah, that blew me away because he's the one of those one of those vestiges of that, like really private, like never saw anything. But his wife got him on Instagram and he's actually on Instagram. It's very controlled. It's definitely one of those things where like he's a hero of mine. They're like, you know, I've seen them like 35 times and uh, I've never met them. I've never met any of them. But it's weird because of exactly what you said of like, you know, the the prince and the Chuck, you hear the stories or you 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 yeah. like you don't know them and then all of a sudden he's on instagram it just it felt a little weird to be completely <laughs> honest yeah well not like everyone wants to you know to be like living on like a big mansion with yeah. like a herd of like alpacas and like uh <laughs> you know 15 you know uh assistants but like I, you're more likely to see me like walking down dundas street with my groceries or something like that like it's just <laughs> exactly yeah. Yeah. well sheepdogs um uh ryan and you and thank you so much guys for uh for coming on the podcast and talking about uh your career and kind of how and the idea of change and whatnot i know it's uh not i don't know some people like talking about the past some people don't but uh i appreciate you taking the time and letting me dig a little deeper today sure man great to be part of it the ep is uh, no simple thing and uh, i hope everybody goes and listens to it and uh, i can't wait to see you guys live somewhere with people and you know actually you know having uh, a live experience with the sheep dogs again man a shared experience that doesn't involve being stuck at home exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i just want to say one last thing like i know this pandemic is going to be a huge you know before and after event in our lives but you know and certainly things will will change forever but you know we people need to be together and they need to be shared experiences in person where we're not looking at a screen and rock and roll is a, a prime one and it's it'll be back i can't and it'll be back stronger than ever I well maybe not stronger than ever but know, but it'll, be back. it'll be back and, you know i can't you know what I, I'm, I'm such a live a live experience guy like i just i love live sports too like i'm a tfc fan and like i just mm-hmm. i miss too. stuff you know, I just miss stuff. Don't you miss stuff? Is what just what I would do to like drink yeah. a few too many beers and eat too many hot dogs and watch the Blue Jays like yeah. in oh person God. right now. Like that's all I want to do. That's yeah, all I want to do. The funny thing is I that want, we're like uh, on the road all the time, so we try to inject that as much, but we miss so much of that stuff. So the one time that we aren't is a time. The, we yeah, of course, that nobody anyways. is. Yeah. yeah. You guys yeah, the only thing was football was like the one season that didn't get affected. I'm a big football fan, so I like. I like watched almost every NFL game I could. I was just like, <laughs> just, 
gorging on it. Getting it in. Well, yeah, because live sports was gone. Who's your team? Uh, the Raiders. Oh, all right. Las Vegas. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, gonna that's right. It is the Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, boys. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I know it's late in the day and everything. So uh, Thanks, I, Bob. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, um, hopefully our paths will cross uh, soon. I, I know uh, we have some mutual friends uh, at, uh, in Joel and a couple other people like that. We've, Brian, I, we've met a couple of times, but I think we were both drunk, or at least I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that exactly. sounds about right. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Bob. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, bye. Thanks, Bob. We got to start making changes. This has been Bob's Basements. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That's the way it is. For more information, email Bob at bobwillette at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette. Like Gillette with a W. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Willette. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.